Well, this morning, I'm going to talk to you on the subject, there is life in the well. There's life in the well. I feel strongly this morning that I've got a word for somebody specific. And that's not church speak. That's not hyperbolic. I really feel like this is for somebody. I feel like I'm talking to some young people this morning. I feel like I'm talking to some teenagers. Maybe there's somebody who's feeling the pull to kind of drift away from the Lord. I feel like today's a word to call you back. And um, this is something that's been, I, I was in my own personal reading time a couple weeks ago. I read over a couple verses, and this just leapt off the page to me. Has anybody ever had that happen before? Where, I mean, it's just, it's there. And so this has spoken to me over the last couple of weeks, and so I'm going to share it with you here this morning. Genesis chapter 26. Somebody say, there's life in the well. We're going to look at verse 12, and we're going to read a few verses there. Genesis 26, 12. It says, when Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord had blessed him. He became very rich, and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and servants, that the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines filled up all Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father, Abraham. So finally, Abimelech, who was the king, ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you've become too powerful for us. So lean into these couple of verses. Here's what I want to look at this morning. So Isaac moved away to the Gerar Valley where he set up their tents and settled down. He reopened the wells that his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names that, I, that Abraham had given them. And Isaac's servants also dug in the Gerar Valley and discovered a well of fresh water. Somebody say there's life in the well. Listen, back in that day, obviously, water was life. I mean, water was everything. You can't survive without water, obviously. Anybody gone a long time without water? It's excruciating, isn't it? And especially in that time, obviously, there's no tap water, there's no city water, there's no anything like that. You've got to get it from a well. And water was how you sustained yourself. Water was how you lived. Water's what refreshed you. And not only you, but that's how you provided for your family. Your family needed water. Your livestock needed water. Your crops needed water. So a well was everything. And so for, for the enemy to come in and cover up a well, it was really smothering what sustained their life. And this morning when we're talking about wells, we're talking about spiritual, the things of God. We're going to talk metaphorically this morning about those spiritual wells, the things of God, those things that give us life, things that sustain us, right? In John chapter 4, Jesus refers to himself as living water. He refers to himself that way. And so as we talk about wells this morning, we're talking metaphorically, essentially saying the things of God. The Word of God, the house of God, our time with God. Are y'all following me? So we're talking about that sort of well this morning. And so in verse 15, the first thing I notice is that the enemy stopped up the wells that Isaac's father Abraham had dug. The enemy came in and covered up, smothered the wells that Abraham had dug. Isaac was the son of promise. Abraham received a promise from the Lord that he was going to be the father of nations. And Isaac was the son of that promise. The hand of God was on Isaac. The favor of God was on Isaac. How many of you would like a hundredfold blessing on what you sow? Anybody? 
Come on, I've got an amen on that one, right? Give me a hundredfold. That's what Isaac was, was receiving. It was amazing. The hand of God was upon his life. Everything he touched was blessed. But just because the hand of God was upon him did not negate the fact that there was an enemy trying to smother what God was trying to bless. Just because you're a, a son, a daughter of God trying to live for the Lord does not eliminate the fact that the enemy is trying to cover up what God wants to do in your life. And we need to be keenly aware that as we pursue God, as we go throughout our day-to-day, that there is a spiritual battle taking place. We can become ignorant, I'd say ignorant, become numb to the fact that everything happening around us is profoundly spiritual. I hope you're paying attention to what's going on on the other side of the world. It's a physical conflict, but way much more than that, it's a spiritual conflict. What happens in our community, yeah, there's physical things that happen, but there's a spirit behind all of it. We are in a spiritual battle, and we've got to remain aware of that. The Bible says in John chapter 10 that the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I like the second half of that verse where Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the full, right? But nonetheless, the enemy has come to steal from you, to kill the things of God, to destroy those things in our life. And while we're not going to focus on that this morning, we can't become ignorant of that fact. There is a spiritual battle taking place in your life and in mine. And we've got to remain diligent. In our day-to-day life, we can become so distracted from the fact that there is a spiritual battle taking place in your life and mine. In raising my children, I have to remember that there is a spiritual battle for my kids. And in all the stuff I'm trying to do, raise them and teach them things, above everything else, I have to remember that they've got a soul, and one day they're going to stand before the Lord. It's a spiritual endeavor, right? And so remembering that the, that the enemy is, is out for us, Something that I tell our students often is that if you're going to live for Jesus in this time, it's not going to happen by accident. Hopefully you're aware of the statistics that we're losing our teenagers, y'all. By the time they graduate and by the time they're done with their college years, the overwhelming majority of them statistically are abandoning their faith. And that's the kind of stuff that keeps us up at night, by the way. If you're going to live for Jesus, students, it's not going to happen by accident, is it? It's going to happen on purpose. Now, I don't claim that over you. I believe you're going to live for the Lord, right? You're going to live for Jesus. You're going to stand. You're going to be the exception. But to do that, it's going to take purpose. You're not going to accidentally serve Jesus in this time. Church, you're not going to accidentally stand for the Lord. It's going to take intentionality. It's going to take work. If our marriages are going to make it, it's not going to happen by accident, right? Come on, it's going to take a lot of forgiveness, right? A lot of grace, a lot of humility. I'm the one that needs the grace, if I'm just being frank with you, all right? I think if I was was better, our marriage would be pretty all right, wouldn't it? (laughs) It is true. Quit lying in church. I'm the issue, and I know I am. If we're going to make it, church, it's not going to happen by accident. You won't wake up one day and say, you know what? We've been married for 50 years. Figure that out. It's going to happen on purpose. And church, we have got to protect the well in our life, the things of God. The enemy is going to try to come in and smother what the Lord is doing in our lives. We've got to protect the well. We've got to guard the well because the enemy, if we're not paying attention and if we're not careful, will come in behind us and try to smother what the Lord wants to do in our life. 
We've got to be intentional. We've got to be on purpose. Can I just be goofy for a second? I laughed yesterday thinking about this message. Most of y'all couldn't preach this message because you don't say well, you say whale. (laughs) And by the end of the day, we wouldn't know if we're supposed to save the whales or save the whale. We wouldn't know what's supposed to go on. Y'all be boycotting SeaWorld thinking, he said save the whales. No. Don't get offended. That's funny, man. Come on. Somebody say protect the well. (laughs) You're afraid to say it now, aren't you? (laughs) I got you. Y'all love me. I know you do. So what did Isaac do? As the enemy came in and smothered the wells, covered them up, what was Isaac's response? And that's really what I want to look at briefly this morning. So in verse 18, you see that Isaac, the first thing he did is he redug the wells that his father had dug. He redug the wells that his father had dug. He went back to the place that sustained his dad. This sustained my father. Maybe it will sustain me. It nourished my father. Maybe it'll nourish me. He didn't go around digging random holes. He went back to where his ancestors found life and said, let's start right there. Oh, this is about to be good. I'm glad that there are certain practices that we don't really adhere to anymore, okay? I'm glad that we don't arrange marriages anymore. Anybody else? Teenagers? Anybody want mom and dad arranging your marriage? No hands. Nobody wants to bite the bullet on that one, right? I mean, nobody, yeah, that's, I'm glad that's gone, to be frank with you. How many of you are glad when you're sick, they don't stick leeches to you anymore to draw out the sickness? Anybody? You ever had leeches on you? They're gross. It's what we did, isn't it? And you look back at some of those things and say, man, they didn't know any better, right? They're just kind of doing what they thought was best and all that. But can I tell you, looking in the past with a they didn't know any better type of mentality across the board is dangerous. They didn't know any better. We look back at at some of the practices and things that our ancestors did, things that that they did that went before us, and we say, oh, they they didn't know any better. Isn't that cute? Isn't that adorable? You know, there's something that exists today called generational prejudice. Has anybody ever heard that term? Generational prejudice. And essentially what that means, it's the belief that because recent generations are so much more technologically advanced than prior generations, that we think that we are that much more wise or intelligent. Read a book, and you'll find that's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? The people that went before us are, were profoundly human, and maybe their technology didn't look like ours, but, man, the people that went before us, they're human beings. Their experiences, what they discovered about life is incredibly valuable to us today. We talked even this morning in Connect Hour how you can read through the scriptures that were written thousands of years ago in another country, on the other side of the world, different customs, and it, it hits home, doesn't it? They're speaking right to us because they're human beings, and they grew up differently, and those things look different, but they were profoundly human at the same time. It's dangerous if we look with that, oh, it's, they didn't know any better mentality. If you don't think that there's a battle going on generationally, I don't think you're paying attention. I think that Satan is strategically trying to, to divide us generationally. And it doesn't just go one way. I think older against younger, and I think vice versa, and both are wrong. We need one another, right? But when we look back in time, we've got to recognize that the people who went before us, the things that they learned about the Lord, the things that they learned about God are 100% applicable to us today. It matters what they learned about God, what they learned about life. My wife's grandfather, I, I wish I knew him better. 
my wife's paternal grandfather was a, a great man, wasn't he? He was a, he was a, a, a pastor for a long time, and um, he was a, a, a pastor of a different denomination for some time. And he got invited to a, a, some sort of revival service or whatnot and just was seeking the Lord and got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit without really, I mean, just seeking God and was filled with the Spirit. And so he was talking to somebody, what does this mean? I mean, just excited about what had happened to him. And so he went back to his own church, and he began to preach baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, man, the whole church responded by kicking him out. They said, we don't really want that here. And so he had switched denominations. So that's kind of Kate's, uh, my wife's heritage. I mean, just a rebel, right? No, he's just a, a great man of God, <laughs> just a great man of God. Um, but as we were starting to date, uh, he, he was battling in his mind later in his life and just wasn't quite there. And um, if anybody's walked through a family member that's dealt with that, man, it is just agonizing, isn't it? And so I never really got to know him for him. He, he was just starting to slip as we were dating and whatnot. Um, but when we got married during the ceremony, we asked our, our family to come and lay hands on us and pray. And we asked her grandfather, would you lead in the prayer? And so whole family came up and they laid hands. And I just, I'm telling you, I don't know that I've ever felt a prayer like I felt that prayer. And it's like somebody who was slipping in his mind the moment that he began to speak with the Lord. It's like, there he is. And you can't fake that. Either you have it or you don't. And I'm t- it was absolutely amazing. And even when we go home to see Kate's family, people still talk about the prayer. What an incredible man. But during uh, holidays and whatnot, after uh, you know, Christmas or Thanksgiving, the family would be ready to go home. And he would call all the grandkids to him. And one at a time, he would lay his hands on the grandkids, and he would pray over them, and he would pray a blessing over the grandkids. And Kate, kind of, and listen, we'd all be this way, and she said at the time, I kind of hated it, <laughs> because it's just like, Grandpa, what are we doing, right? Anybody have a tradition like that? It's like, come on, Grandpa. Normal people don't do this. Y'all not going to back me up on this? Okay. I bet y'all do some weird stuff at your house, too. No. But all of us have been that. As a kid, you don't appreciate those things, right? But she said, she said, I would give anything to go back. I had no idea how valuable that would be to me. I had no idea how much that would mean to me in life. And church, what I'm saying is the people that have gone before us, they were on to something. They were on to something. And I'm talking to somebody in the room that you've got a mom or a dad or a grandma or grandpa who were so sold out and dedicated to the things of God, you need to go back to what sustained them and figure out why they dug a well right there. You need to go back to what gave them life. You need to go back to what nourished them and what gave them strength. And I think if you'll dig down deep enough, you'll find that there's life in the well. There's life in the well. It'll sustain you like it sustained them. It means something. Are y'all following me this morning? There's life in the well. And maybe you think that, man, they, they were a little bit over the top with something. Why did they have to go to church every single Sunday? Because they found there's life in the well. Why, would, why did Grandma get up every morning before the rooster crowed and spend time with the Lord? Because there's life in the well. She discovered that there's something to this. And if we'll go and dig where they dug, we'll find the same life that they found. If we'll go where they were, if we'll, we'll dig where they were, we'll find the same sustenance that they found. There's life in the well. And I feel like I'm talking to somebody this morning. I'm talking to somebody this morning that you need to go and discover for yourself what they discovered. 
You need to find what they found. There's life in the well. Are y'all with me this morning? So Isaac dug where his father dug. And then in verse 18, it says that Isaac called the wells by their original name. He called the wells by their original name. He didn't try to rename them. He didn't try to rebrand them. He didn't try to relabel them. He called them what they were originally called. This is what dad called them. This is what they were from the beginning. So this is what we're going to refer to them going on. If you're paying attention, language is shifting in our culture, isn't it? Trying to relabel everything. And it's, it's important. Language is important. How we refer to certain things matters. And I'm going to be careful how I talk about this because I'm, I'm talking spiritually, y'all. I'm not trying to get into some political nonsense. I'm talking spiritually. Are y'all following me? Okay. We're talking spiritually here. But it matters what we call things. It matters how we refer to things. God, from the, the beginning, he said marriage is between one man and one woman. That's what it was from the beginning all the way through Scripture. That's what it's referred to. So that's what we're going to call it. The Supreme Court can call it whatever they want to call it, but they can't redefine what God has defined. We're going to call it what it is. We're going to do that in love. We're going to do that respectfully. We're going to walk with people, but we're going to call it what it is. And I'm talking in general, it's time for us to get back to what things were originally called. What did God say about it? That's what we're going to call it. What did the early church do? What did Jesus say about it? What does the word say? Okay, that's how we're going to live. And we can't be relabeling everything, renaming everything. We've got to go back to what it is. I mean, let me just talk about a couple of these that I feel like are, are sort of plaguing our culture. You know, it's not legalism. It's holiness. It's not legalism. It's holiness. God has called us to be holy. How many believe that? It means set apart. We should look different. A few minutes ago, we just sang, I said yes to Jesus and everything changed. Is that true in your life? When you said yes to the Lord, did everything change for you? I hope when we said yes to Jesus, our language changed a little bit. What we talk about changed a little bit. What we watch probably needs to change a little bit. What we listen to needs to change a little bit. Wait for teenagers on that one. You're going to leave me hanging. Come on now. It ought to be different. We ought to look different. Now listen, in the past, do we probably take things a little bit far? <laughs> I was going to let you all answer. I wasn't going to say it. But since you said yes, I'll agree with you. Maybe we took things a little far. We were talking about holiness a couple weeks ago in our Connect Hour class, and I they were just laughing because I was saying some of y'all grew up, and if you were caught in a bowling alley, Lord Almighty, there's smoke in the bowling alley. There's going to be a lot of smoke where you're going, bud. I mean, you're going straight. I mean, no chance for you, right? Do we go a little far a little bit? Maybe. Maybe. I remember, I'm old enough, I remember when we went to camp, they had a, a ruler. And as girls would walk in the door, they'd slap that ruler on those girls' legs, and if the dress went so many inches above your knee, they'd send your rear end back. Anybody remember that? Now, today, we couldn't use a ruler. We got to use a yardstick.
matters what you wear. How do you talk? I'll let Big and Turner opened up our, uh, our service on Wednesday night talking about that. What's, your, what's the language you're using? She said, don't go cussing and say you go to the rock church now. I said, amen to that. Right? I'll give you a whole list of churches you can say you're from. Don't say you're from here if you're going to use language like that. Right? It matters how we talk. I'm talking about holiness. Now, here's what will happen is today people say legalism. You're being legalistic. We live in grace. Right? Is God a God of grace? 100%. I need it all the time. I really do. I need his mercy. But I'm not going to take advantage of it. Right? It's there if I need it. If you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. But we don't live in sin. We live holy lives. And you can't preach that today. You preach holiness, and somebody's going to run down the street to another church that'll let you live however the dip you want. Can I say that? Is that all right? God's called us to live holy. It matters how we live. And we're going to call it for what it is. We're going to live holy. We're going to live that way. Let me say this. It's not called being judgmental. It's called accountability. How many of y'all need accountability in your life, huh? I'd put both hands up if I wasn't holding a microphone. I need it. I need people in my life who can ask me those questions, who are looking out for me. From the beginning, it was understood in the New Testament church that when you said yes to Jesus, you are a part of a local church body. It was assumed that that was the case. And being a part of that body, we look out for one another because we're family. I'm looking out for you. You're looking out for me. We're, we're in this together. I've got my own relationship with the Lord. So do you. But we're traveling on this road together and we need each other. Sometimes I need somebody asking me tough questions. Anybody else? I need somebody asking, hey, how's things going? How's things going with your wife? How are things going with your children? We all need that. But today, for whatever reason, a lot of people, they don't want it. Nobody's going to hold me accountable. I'm so thrilled that we're having a church membership gathering tonight. I'm so thrilled with that. Do you know there are a lot of people who will not join a church because deep down they don't want to be accountable? You're not going to hold me accountable. I'm not going to answer to anybody. I'm not going to, like, if I don't show up, I don't show up. If I, I mean, can, I'm just talking truthfully now. Is that all right? Church, we need it. And it's not called being judgmental. And if you're being judgmental, you need to stop, Right? But I love you. I love you enough to, to, to be that way with you, right? To ask you those types of questions. I hope you'll do that for me too. Because we need it. But we need accountability. And we can relabel it, label it and call it, well, you're just being judgmental. No, you're just dodging the question is what it is. We all need it. Church, what I'm saying is we've got to get back to what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? I don't care what culture says. What does the Bible say? I don't care what the YouTube star says. What does the Bible say? I don't care. I don't care what anybody else says. What does the Word of God call it? We're going to call it that. We've got to go back to it, which means you've got to know it. We've got to know the Word. We've got to dig into it. How did Jesus see things? How did the early church operate? That's what we need to get back to. Are you all following me so far? Yo, I'm rolling through this, man. And everybody said, Amen. Continue in verse 19. This is so important. It says, then Isaac dug new wells. So he re-dug the wells of his father. 
He called them what they were originally called, but then he went and dug new wells. He built off of what his father had started, but he could not live off of what his father did. And church, we can build off of others' relationship with the Lord, but we cannot survive off of other people's relationship with the Lord. I'm thankful for people who have gone before me. My wife and I both, we've got strong Christian heritage, both of us. And you, can't, you couldn't buy that with all the money in the world. There's a lot of people in the room that are that way too. And as thankful as I am for that, I can't live off of that. I can't live off mom and daddy's relationship with the Lord. I can build off of it, but I can't survive off of it. I've got to have my own. Teenagers, can I just tell you that you've got to have your own relationship with Jesus? If you've got a mom or a dad or a relative in the room that loves the Lord, you need to thank Jesus for that every single day. You really do. But you can't live off that. You've got to have your own relationship with the Lord. I've been, you know, I've been doing this job full-time for almost 12 years. I've seen some things. Students who haven't dug their own relationship with the Lord, they don't last very long. Can I just tell you that? They show up on Wednesday night because mom and dad tell them to show up, but it's not really theirs. You're not going to last very long. You got to dig your own wells and you got to start right now. This relationship with Jesus has to be yours. And thank God for what your parents have discovered and your grandparents have discovered. And you're going to thank Jesus for them getting your rear ends out of bed every Sunday morning and tell you to come on, right? But I'm telling you, it's got to be yours. And I say that because I love you. I believe in you. It's got to be yours. We've got people that they become dependent on a family member. You know, you've got a matriarch or patriarch of the family, and they're kind of the one that keeps everybody together. But can I just tell you, at some point, that person's going to be gone. They're not going to be there forever. And then what are you going to do? Is it your relationship with Jesus, or are you dependent upon them? You can build off of it, but you can't live off of it. You've got to have your own. And there are cases where, where a matriarch or patriarch will be removed from a family, and then the whole family is in disarray because we've not dug our own wells. Are you digging your own spiritual well? You can't live off of somebody else's. Can I just tell you that some people will find a preacher or a Bible teacher and they will sort of vicariously live spiritually through that person? That that person's got a relationship with Jesus that they admire so much that, that they'll watch all their stuff online or they'll listen to the podcast or they show up on Sunday morning and it just fires them up. And without realizing it, they're trying to live spiritually through that preacher. It's not going to work. That's supposed to be an additive, Right? But it cannot replace your relationship with Jesus. Are you digging your own well? There's no substitute for it. Proximity to somebody who's close with God does not make you close with the God. Let me just ask you a couple questions. We kind of wrap this up, and then I'm going to give us an opportunity to pray. Okay, will you come play for me, please? I love you. Let me ask you this. What is the spiritual climate of your home? Are there wells being dug in your home? I, I said it earlier. I love being in church. I love the house of God. Like I was raised in church and I love it. I love being here with you. But it cannot be a substitute 
for what's supposed to be taking place in your own house. Love ministries. We love youth ministry and kids ministry and getting together. But it can't be a substitute. What's the spiritual climate of your home? Are you digging wells in your own house? Does your family pray together? Do you dig in the word together? Do you worship together? Like, is there an atmosphere of worship in your home? Or in order to get that sort of spiritual edge, do you have to travel? Do you have to come here? Do you have to go to another service? Or is it happening at your house? Are you digging wells in your own home? And dads, that's really, it falls on us, doesn't it? The priests of our home. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. Is that happening at home? Are we digging wells for our family? Because we can't live off somebody else. For many in the room, I feel today strongly that it's time for us to start digging our own wells. For some of you, you need to go back and discover what your parents discovered. Discover what your grandparents discovered. They were so adamant about this church thing. They were so adamant about the Lord. And you thought, why in the world were they so crazy about it? It's because they discovered there's life in the well. Some of y'all need to go back to it. We're going to pray in that in a second. Some of us need to dig our own wells. Maybe for whatever reason, we've just been, we've been trying to live off somebody else's. Somebody else's relationship with God. Somebody else's walk with God. And maybe as we examine ourselves, we've sort of neglected our responsibility. And today, Holy Spirit speaking to you and say, it's time to start digging. I'm believing for some families to start digging together. Believing for some homes to be reshaped, that the atmosphere in homes begins to change as you seek the Lord together.